1: So so here we go. On uh, three, two, one. We are speaking with the one and only Jeff Blue. His new book is called One Step Closer, and it uh, details a little bit the story of Linkin Park, Hybrid Story, and some of the other bands he's been involved with. And uh, as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour, Jeff. Uh, Comment allez-vous? How are you? Uh,
0: Comment ça? Muy bien.
1: (laughs) Yeah, muy bien. Yeah, that's right. Uh, We're, We're in
0: Southern California. (laughs) <laughs> um I'm, I'm doing great glad to be here and uh i should grab the book and show it Do you have it to show like you know the whole yeah the visual hold on one second if you see my dog in the background then you know he's the most important guy but because there's, there's there you go. For those, those home gamers this is the book it's called one step closer yeah. and uh yeah details the story of uh how hybrid theory the album came to be and the biggest selling debut album of the 21st century to give it a shameless plug, but yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and that's what I wanna I want to get into. And I also wanna talk about some of the other bands you've been involved with, including Macy Gray, including uh, DJ Ashbaugh and uh, Beautiful Creatures. Uh, it's an interesting uh, arc, so, so let me get into this. Uh, talk to me just about the book first. In terms of the story you wanted to tell, it does detail the story a lot about Linkin Park, a lot about hybrid theory. Um, talking about how your story tells through that how does it play out through that the telling of that other story
0: well the the whole the whole story starts uh about when I I lectured at UCLA and it kind of goes back from there and then forward so I uh I was teaching at UCLA while I was working at this company uh publishing company called Zamba Music Publishing and uh I had just signed a woman named Macy Gray, who nobody liked, she'd been passed on by every record label, her publisher dropped her, manager dropped her, et cetera, and I was looking for an intern uh, at UCLA because that is where I uh, had actually discovered what AR was, and a for those people at home, uh, is uh, nice. artist in Repertoire, and yep. we are blessed with the job to go out and discover new artists and potentially develop them, and that's what I like to do. So. I The book starts uh, about me lecturing at UCLA looking for an intern, and this young kid named Brad Delson, uh, you know, raised his hand, and he said he actually liked the Macy Gray demo. He was like the only kid there. He was this rock kid, and I was playing Neo Soul, and uh, the kid literally showed up in my office, I thought unannounced, because I don't remember scheduling a meeting with him, but it was in in my office, uh, super confident, uh, uh, bordering on arrogance, which I liked uh and um literally told me that he he had a band that was gonna be bigger than the bands on my wall which at the time were matchbox 20 corn and limp biscuit and i was go, i just go like i like this kid
1: <laughs> you know so confident but he got rejected him. like 40 times so
0: yeah i i i signed you know I, I hired him as my intern and then a few weeks later he threw a demo tape at my, my desk and it was his band zero which wasn't that great and uh you know, it goes the whole process. I, I ended up going to see his band, the first show they ever played. And it was at the Whiskey and they were opening up for his, uh, System of a Down and, and SX-10, uh, Send Dog's band from Cypress Hill. And I was just like, man, I like this kid and they need a lot of work. But I, I signed their band after the first show they ever
1: played. Which is amazing. So so talk to me about, about being an A&R guy, because what do you see in a band? And I was talking to the Papa Roach guys yesterday and I was telling them, you know what? I used to work at Metal Hammer and I got your, your, your infest album. And right off the bat, first play, I went, that's a star band. And you, you could just tell that they were at this other level, but for you as an a guy, you know, for me as a, as a rock critic, it's easy. It sounds great. You know, what are you looking for where you go, okay, this band is going to be at this level. I mean, is it look, is it, is it, is it confidence? Is it the songs? Because, you know, there are some bands that have great careers, but they don't really have great songs, but they sell themselves really fucking well. So right. what are you looking for?
0: Well, first of all, um, uh, Jacoby is in and their story is in my book, too, because yeah. they came to my office as a music publisher looking for a development deal, which is what I was doing with this band called Zero at the time, which became <laughs> Hybrid Theory, which became Linkin Park. Let me so, just ask you real quick. Uh, Jacoby,
1: D- Did you tell Jacoby, lose the trombone player? Was that you?
0: No, that was not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Jacobi was, helped me, you know, writing the book. And we, we talked a lot about it in, when I was doing all the research. But, uh, you know, as a publisher, I was looking for artists to develop. Because by the time they were signed to a record label, it was too expensive to acquire their publishing. Publishing and, and, A&R are, are, and record labels are completely different just for people at home. Publishing is something where you, uh, the company owns the copyrights. The record label owns the masters and then, uh, and then usually the 360 uh, included all the, you know, touring and, and whatnot. Um, so <laughs> I was working as a publisher at doing A&R, discovering an artists. And no matter what, even as a, a record person or a publisher, I always look for uh, something that's iconic. And that could be a guitar tone. It doesn't have to be vocals, but it's 95% vocals. So an iconic sounding vocal. I also worked with this guy, Daniel Powder from Canada who had had a bad day and had this really quirky vocal. Macy Gray has a quirky vocal. Jonathan Davis has an identifiable voice. Fred Durst uh, does, you know, these are different artists I worked with. And um, and obviously when I found Chester, I immediately found that he had a beautiful, iconic voice. So I look for an iconic sound, whether it's, you know, uh, a guitar tone, drum sound, anything like that, that immediately you can identify as, oh, that is this or that artist. And I'm sure there's a million of those, such as Queen comes to mind and Metallica. Um, Steven Tyler. Oh, yeah. It, there's just anybody millions. that you can come to mind. They're I millions. Anything. Um, so authenticity, meaning literally you speak your truth. Uh, there's a vulnerability in you that that is believable that you are you are literally connecting with somebody on a different level. Um, and you just don't sound like you're trying to do every other band, you know, be every other artist out there. This the trend of the moment. Star power, the ability to connect on stage, but actually engage somebody in general. Um, you know, there's a lot of very boring people out there that don't connect. Great talent, um, and I've dealt with some people, and that is, that is an issue. Uh, it's that urgency that you get when you you're engaged with somebody or somebody's on stage. Uh, then, of course, hit songs, and you know, I delve into that a lot as a songwriter myself. I'm very, very hyper aware of every second of every song being utilized to its maximum and hooks and making those hooks grab you uh and then i gotta say by the way
1: i love your thinking because sometimes you hear these 12 minute songs and you go really can we just get to the chorus and don't bore us please
0: (laughs) right well if you listen to the the hybrid theory record that's 38 minutes long and i i was insane about going hey this is unnecessary this bridge is unnecessary let's cut you know cut the core of the uh intros down until you know There's certain iconic, you know, like uh, in the end, you know exactly, you know, that's immediately that piano line. That's iconic. You know, Mike Shinoda was great at that, but every second was utilized. And then, of course, a great artist allows you to feel like you belong. And that's the ability for them to connect. And, you know, that is what Chester did so, so well. You know, God rest his soul. That guy literally even in person made you made you feel like he was right his lyrics and his emotive behavior his performance was connecting with you and they're like oh my god i feel that same way yeah and that's what i look for in an artist
1: (laughs) that's what you look for in an artist and just real quick and i don't want to spend too much time on it but you mentioned publishing these days merca mercurius and and primary wave are buying pretty much everything Uh, good for primary wave by the way um what do you think of that now that that publishing is starting to get into these sort of two or three hands. Urban Azov is also buying a lot. I mean, publishing is becoming like just three principal owners in a sense. Good, bad. I mean, it's good for the artists, right? They're cashing in, sort of, kind of.
0: Uh, it all depends. I mean, again, you don't have to do a publishing deal. We, I, I always looked at publishing the way I did it was uh, as helping an artist, not just as a bank. Um, but Merck's a, a, a super hyper-intelligent guy. Um, I actually, right. when I was at Zamba years and years and years ago, wanted to buy catalogs and they didn't want to do it. I I brought in a lot of cool stuff. I'm like, ah, that's not gonna get used that much. And, uh, you know, so I agree with that. There's catalogs are extremely valuable. They're iconic songs that can, you know, a lot of the income comes in from film and TV placement. So, you know, why not? It's your music you should be able to do, you know, publishers generally work to exploit your catalog, which should be done. And I've worked with a lot of publishers that really didn't do much. Um, So, you know, good for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great uh, in terms of of the helping the artist Uh, back to the to the bands that you help set up. How do you differentiate in terms of genre? Because going from Macy Gray to Limp Bizkit to uh, to Lincoln Park, I mean, it's not the same audience. It's not the same market. It's not the same thing. So so how do you go? Macy's got something. Lincoln Park got something. Why not just be like the hair guy and say, all right, I need five rats. Let's go. Yeah,
0: not at all. Um, I love music. So uh, as a kid, uh, you know, I was, and this goes back years and years ago, uh, I was bused into uh, uh, Los Angeles schools. And so on the bus ride, I was listening to Van Halen, Zeppelin, ACDC. um, Pretty much that was it, you know, and then I was in school and I was listening to Grandmaster Flash uh, and uh, Michael Jackson. And, uh, you know, it was very diverse group that I was interacting with. And so immediately from my, my youth, you know, my, my parents would only listen to Barry Manlow and Neil Diamond. So I loved it all. You know, I loved disco, uh, hard rock, soft rock, you know, some country from the time. So I was exposed to everything and I didn't go, Oh, that's not cool. I thought everything was cool, you know? So, um, I had the ability, like in any given day up to this day, I will listen to uh, certain times of the day hits from the seventies because I love those old, you know, pop songs. Uh, when I'm working out, I listen to hard rock and new stuff. Uh, one of my best friends is in this band, grandson, uh, Jordan's just incredible vocalist, grandson. And, uh, then I'll listen to R and B and chill stuff, hip hop in the evening. So, uh, and then I also listen to country, you know, depending on my mood when I'm running in the Canyon, I'll listen to that a lot. So. Uh, I had always had the ability. One of my favorite artists was uh, Nina Simone and Billie Holiday. So uh, that was my chill stuff. And that's when I got to be introspective. And so when I heard Macy Gray, you know, I was signing all these rock bands and I heard Macy's voice. I'm like, that that is an iconic voice. I just lost my shit. I was like, I've I've got to work with her and nobody wanted to work with her. I had actually tracked her down and convinced her to get back into the music business. She was done with it. So. I'm extremely passionate and, and super into music and when I hear something that, that excites me I, there's no stopping. So that's why I've always been that guy looking for new artists. I don't care if they've had 10 million followers that you know if they have two followers if there's a great voice there and they're talented I want to know about them and that's why I get so many artists coming to you know work with me and you know help build their careers and I've gotten so many artists deals.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's refreshing to me, by the way, because, you know, I, I'm known for the rock stuff. But every so often on Twitter, I'll say, hey, you know, the Duran Duran something. People go, oh, you can't talk about them. They're not rock. And I'm like, who cares? They got, they, I love them. They got great songs, you know.
0: Well, the, the uh, deal the deal is this, man, is that uh, any song is a song. It's a pop song. Doesn't mean it's pop. If you break down any type of song and it's good, you can do it in any flavor of any ways, any genre. And that makes that makes a great song. That's when you know you've got something great if you can play it acoustically and break it down and then put, you know, different elements behind it. That is a great song. Um, Like when the Lincoln Park guys, they listened to Depeche Mode, but also I was working for Jive Records, which was the publishing company Zamba. And they were listening to all the Backstreet Boys stuff and they realized those songs were incredibly well structured, you know, and you could make one of those, you know, any of those songs super hard, put heavy guitars behind it, it's still going to be a damn good song. So
1: I agree. I I agree. So so let me get into Linkin Park for a little bit, because I remember at the time, you know, listen, I was all into the Def Leppard and to the Scorpions and all that. And and we had that downwards curve and then Nirvana and all this. And then Linkin Park comes out and it's one of the first times we have two vocalists or two guys Mm -hmm. trading. And that was unique. And and at first I sort of went, well, what the is that? And a lot of people said that, but you went with it. And of course it worked. Uh, Talk to me about that. Did you ever sit them down and say, listen, get get one vocalist. You need your Steven Tyler. You need your, your whatever. Or were you like, nope, we're going to create something new here.
0: The irony is there's two ironic situations in that. Uh, I always thought that was very unique. Yet we showcased 44 times and we're told 44 times the band sucks. They don't have hit songs. There's no star there and it, everybody said it sounds like everything else there's this is you're late to the party and i'm like this doesn't sound like anything i go there's two guys here two frontmen that are amazing and for the people that don't know there was an original singer before so i had you know that was another big in, insanely tough thing where i had to replace the original vocalist because he just wasn't cutting it great guy super talented and ended up be, uh, becoming an amazing manager for artists like taproot and system um but you To me, that was, that was an iconic thing, and it had to blend. So those two elements really needed to, to blend really well. Um, and then ironically, when I finally get this band signed as part of my employment deal to go to Warner Brothers, the, by the time I got out of my contract to go to actually physically be at Warner Brothers, the guy who hired me was let go. And the new boss that came in had already passed on the band uh, three different times, three separate showcases passed on the band. So now he's our our guy in charge at the label. And he made that suggestion. He goes, just have have Chester. Get rid of the the rapper. And so we went through that. And it's detailed and agonizing, traumatic detail uh, in the book. book. And uh, it was extremely difficult on me, knowing that Mike Shinoda is the guy that really was the impetus and the creative structure behind that band. Um, Chester was and is one of the most beautiful, impacted voices of our, our, you know, the last 30 years. But you cannot have Linkin Park without the the dual aspect of that, you know, hard hitting transition between, you know, the rap, the singing and the, you know, the vocals and the melodies. And um, so, yeah, I I did have to deal with that with uh, Linkin Park and we stood by it and we, you know, Mike in there, but it was a very difficult process. One, one to this day, which, you know, it was very traumatic for, for him and me.
1: Listen, I, I started doing this this reporting stuff in 96, and I remember people going, oh, it's never going to work, Duval, what are they thinking? And it's like, well, they proved you wrong, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> it worked pretty darn good. Uh, let me just ask you, you went over to Warner's, and, uh, you know, around uh, the end of, of the 90s, uh, early 2000s, you start developing this band Beautiful Creatures with, with DJ Ashbaugh um talk to me a little bit about the thinking behind that because you had of course uh you know a lead singer from a from an 80s band you had these different bit players and you were sort of like reinventing the wheel sort of saying hey you know what Def Leppard fans we've got a band for you um what was the sort of the thinking behind Beautiful Creatures and and why did it sort of just peter out after doing the Ozfest and stuff Uh,
0: well there's a reason for everything um so I liked the band a lot. I actually liked Joe uh, and his band Bang Tango. Um, yeah. I was in there because of of DJ, DJ Ashba, and he was just he was an absolute star. The guys in the band were all really strong. there's a guy Kenny Queens. Um, and I did think there was there was room and there was a need for guitars because at that time, uh, in 2000, 2001, uh, it was not cool to have any guitar solos.
1: Right. Totally stripped a out, of, big, out of music.
0: Okay, big no-no, no guitar solos. Everything's steering away from guitars. And I know everything is cyclical. So I meet DJ and I'm like, this, this guy is incredible. He's charismatic. Mm-hmm. He's great. He, he just he, he makes you feel like you belong. And he's an insane guitar player. So um, that is a, a life lesson where DJ was the strength of the band. The only part of the... Uh, the equation that wasn't great was he was the strongest point in the band, which you don't want to have your guitar player be stronger than the vocalist, and um, you know, we, we got a lot of flack uh, on the vocalist. Uh, I thought the album was great, you know, it was one of the f- first things that I, I also uh, co-produced that, and I had a lot of songs that I wrote on that record a lot, and uh, I thought there were some really great songs. Um, the head, the new head after the other guy who didn't like Linkin Park, the guy who came in uh, hated the band, Beautiful Creatures, and basically dropped them. No, so he did drop them.
1: Well, he did drop them. So, no, because it was interesting, because I, I was doing interviews back then, and they'd say, you can't ask about band Tango. It doesn't exist. Just just ask about Beautiful Creatures. And I'm like, so you're trying to hide the fact? And it, it was just very strange. And anyway, I saw them at Oz Test. They were great. The albums, the two albums are great. But yeah. it, it, it they were trying to sort of cover up the fact that there was well, an 80s association.
0: Yeah, there was a big stigma at It was like yes. it made him seem old. That was the thing. It made him seem old. He and, uh, and he really wasn't that old. Anyways, long story short, yeah, it, it, uh, the band got dropped. It was horrible. So I, I worked really hard on that, and I still talk to DJ all the time. Um, he's super talented, and he went on, obviously, to play with Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue. Uh, he's just a phenomenal guy. So, um, yeah, the, you know, you can't – the thing that people don't understand is they think it's all up to – you know, me, all, all the decisions are coming through me. I, my job as an a person is to nurture, facilitate, get that record going through and finish the record, make it, help market it and put the vision out there so the world can hear it. But there's always people above you, no matter what. There's always a CEO and one guy above that guy. And if they don't like it for some reason or they don't like the sound or the, one of the guys in the band, which is the case in this, this situation. Um,
1: there's not much you can people. do. And, yeah, and of course, it's
0: a, it's a lot of politics, unfortunately. So now that's why artists will come to me, and I will help develop and go, "Hey, this is how you also avoid these roadblocks." And I learned a lot about that in, in writing the book again, which we will plug right here. Yes, this one book, step closer. One step closer. Wherever your books and everything's sold. Uh, yes. So yeah, it goes into all that. It goes, the book d- discusses what it takes yeah. to persevere because you will hit roadblocks all the time. You know, it, uh, get, you'll
1: hate gate, uh, gatekeepers, as I like to call them. The wonderful gatekeepers. <laughs>
0: yeah, and we don't know everything all the time. You know, I'd like, uh, there's plenty of things that, that uh, I'm, one of my faults is that I'm always early. Oh, too early. Like Linkin Park, I was three years early. Machine Gun Kelly, I brought to Atlantic Records a year before anybody even heard yes. his name. And they passed. You know, I brought in Nickelback, the first show they ever played in the back of a, um, a uh, record store in Vancouver. And they wanted to do a deal for, you know, 4,000 bucks. So many different artists. Um, I like finding stuff early. So in the position I have now where I consult for labels, but I also develop, I'm able to have that time because record labels are not going to develop you. They're going to oh. sign you based on your fan base, your, your, uh, your social metrics. Yeah. It's horrible. So um, there's a lot of different ways where artists can facilitate and, and expand their career, You know, whether it's just playlists and, and knowing the right people or film and television. So I'm, you know, I'm also doing a soundtrack right now soundtracks have been essential in breaking artists. I did a, there's an artist I had, that was a pop artist that the guys lived with me and I got them, they were called uh, The Last Good Night. We had a number one song in nine countries and it all stemmed from a TV show. Um, But, you know, we won a BMI award out here and uh, Daniel Powder was broken by a television show. Um, You know, lots of different artists, you know, the fray. But long story short, there's a lot of different ways to uh, step up your career uh, outside of just, you know, having great, you know,
1: Songs. Uh, yeah, absolutely awesome. uh, I'll, I'll keep reminding folks uh one step closer is available now now you just mentioned nickelback and and i'm a canadian and they get a lot of hate i happen to think they're great i think when when you see them play live they can't be touched i mean they're they're just spectacular live um just out of curiosity why do you think they have that reputation and ultimately isn't that just good pr because they're always being talked about
0: uh, it's not the best. I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, Limp Biscuit also gets a lot of hate and I think they're freaking great. I mean, I love, I love Chad, you know, Chad and I joke all around. He, he almost did a publishing deal with me for 4,000 bucks. My, my boss is the one who didn't want to do a $4,000 deal with this unknown band. So, um, no, I think he has an iconic sound. it be sometimes artists become a parody of themselves. You know, that sound, everybody emulated at the, you know, the marbles in your mouth. He was the first guy that I, I, I honestly don't know why, but yeah, they had some incredible songs. And I think one of the things is they kept, and with all due respect, Chad, they kept basically reproducing the same song, the same formula. But that works for a ton of different artists, you know? Um, ACDC,
1: 50 years.
0: Yeah, I mean, for the <laughs> most part, you know. Um, but, uh, and then same thing with Limp Bizkit. People just decided to hate, you know, that was, you know, they were they were everywhere. When you're everywhere, people start to hate on you. It's just a... It's, ridic- know, it's ridiculous. I've seen nature. Limp Bizkit
1: live and they're great too, so.
0: Dude, Fred is freaking amazing. I still talk to DJ lethal all the time. Uh, you know, he helped me with the book, Uh, man. I don't know. It's just people, you know, people love to hate There's there's more haters than, you know, people who actually go out and support you. And that's one of the things you have to also learn about this business that you're getting into. If if you're a musician and I do talk about it in the book, uh, is that there's always somebody out there ready to hate, you know, it's people love to throw shade and people love to tell you why you're not good. You need to actually find your strengths, focus on them, yeah. have the belief in yourself. Listen to those haters because there, there are, there always is a modicum, like one iota of one percent truth behind everybody's comment. But follow your own vision. Take everybody's comment and analyze it. Go, hey, you know what? Maybe they're right about something. And that is what we did with Linkin Park at a point. Enough people said, "Hey, look, that vocalist isn't, you know, isn't hitting it," and so. We decided to actually get rid of the lead vocalist, which is the most important part of a band, and wait. And uh, by a miracle, I found Chester, you know, in, in Arizona, uh, while I was at, drinking at the Four Seasons Hotel in at South by Southwest, and it was a <laughs> random occurrence. I just called up this guy without ever hearing his voice, and you know, said, "Hey, man, we have a, this killer band called Zero from Los Angeles. They're about to blow up," you know. And he told me it was his birthday. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I go, you know, you should leave your birthday and go record this demo tape. And this kid did it. And his name was Chester Bennington. And, you know, he changed a lot of people's lives all over the world. So, um, you know, end of the day, you've just got to make your mark. You've got to have that drive. Any artist, and anybody doing anything, any type of career, you have to have that drive because that is what's going to propel you. Past all those haters yep. and uh, and really make your statement in your career, and you have to hold strong to your vision. And when I say listen to the haters, I only say that in that one instance where somebody will is objective, and maybe they're right about something, and maybe that little change will be the catalyst for everything that makes you know all the pieces fit together with your project.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on that, I'll remind the folks one step closer. Fascinating read. I, I just I thought it was compelling and. Uh... There we go, Jeff Blue. Thank you, sir. And thank you for contributing to, to the music that makes our lives better. I mean, you know. It's, it's oh, bad. man,
0: thank you very much. Um, you know, thank you to all the artists out there who who just follow their passion and their truth, because that, that's how I do it. You know, I'm a musician myself and, you know, a songwriter. And I you know, I started as a journalist. And that is what enabled me to really help analyze and communicate with people, breaking music down into a, a, a language you know, that you can communicate with and, and guide. And it's it's such a rewarding thing to find artists who you, you can have that relationship with and engage with and create something special. So I'm just, I, I love my life and I'm, I'm glad to be here. And I, I look forward, I actually just found an artist through the book who reached out to me and uh, said it changed her life. And I listened to her music and it was incredible. Wow. And we're in the process of uh, making an album for her. Uh, and Good. I
1: think she's
0: gonna, yeah. Bring us so. the next
1: Macy. We, we need more.
0: Oh, no, this, this girl is like Billie Eilish meets Eminem.
1: Oh, well, my, my daughter will love that. And by the way, my daughter loves Makes Billie sense. Eilish and Machine Gun Kelly, so you've done well. <laughs> oh, why didn't you? I didn't
0: I didn't get to sign either one, but yeah, I did bring them or I brought in Machine Gun Kelly. But yeah, yeah. man, well, thank you so much. So yeah, and then you, you shout out the socials. Like if people want to reach me, uh, you can reach me at Jeff Blue Music on Instagram It's probably the best way
1: yep. uh, no, on my I, other socials and Facebook. I've got the website over here Jeff Blue as well
0: and I, I'm changing that over right now it's uh, ah. so, uh, Century Park Entertainment that's C-E-N-T-U-R-Y Park Entertainment it's, it's, uh, dot com but it's Century Park
1: oh. Merci beaucoup. as we say in Montreal thank you so much
0: Tago Tago alright sounds Cheers. great All right, let me stop the recording